0: Welcome back to HackerRank Radio. I'm Dan Somrek, and I'm the Senior Director of Product Management at HackerRank. I'll be your host for today. Today's guest is Keisha Williams, award-winning software engineer, machine learning practitioner, and AWS training architect at a cloud guru. An Amazon-recognized pioneer in machine learning and an expert Java developer, Keisha is an expert technical instructor in Java, cloud, DevOps, and machine learning. She's taught and mentored thousands of developers across the world through her work and through her social and professional networking platform, Colors of STEM. She's also a member of the HackerRank Skills Advisory Council, a panel of tech industry experts dedicated to creating an industry-standardized library of technical skills as a resource for those in tech. Welcome, Keisha. To kick things off, could you share a little about yourself?
1: Sure. I am super excited to be here, and I just want to say that I have been a huge HackerRank fan for years. And just to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been in IT for about 25 years, serving as either a software engineer, technical lead, or a software engineering manager with a huge focus on Java and web development, and more recently, the cloud and machine learning. And anyone that knows me, they know that I have a heart for teaching and mentoring and speaking and just giving back to the tech community in general. So I work for a company called A Cloud Guru that allows me to do that. And I also do a lot of volunteering on the side. So that's just a little bit about me.
0: Thank you. Now, could you tell us a little bit about your journey from a Java developer to a cloud architect and a teacher and how you got to where you are now?
1: Sure. So my IT or tech journey really began in high school. And so I've been coding since high school and I didn't even realize at the time that what I was doing was called coding. I just called it playing on the computer. And so from an early age, I've just had a love for computers and coding and, and technology. And from there, I just, you know, I went on to college to major in computer science. And I've worked in a lot of different industries, in the airline industry, the healthcare industry, national security. But the common theme throughout that time was really Java and web development. So Java provided a really strong foundation for my career. And I would say maybe six years ago, seven years ago, I was introduced to the cloud. And as a software engineer, it just totally changed the game for me because I was able to quickly bring all of these cool ideas that I had in my in my head to life. So that started my cloud journey. And then I started playing around with machine learning. So like way back when, when I started with Java, I was actually doing C++ at the time. And when I researched Java, I was just blown away by this language. And I was like, this language is going to take over the world. This is the language I need to learn. And it was a great decision to do that. But the excitement that I felt for Java way back then, I feel now for... Machine learning. And so, three or four years ago, I just wanted to learn more about it. So, I started dabbling on the side with just building applications and solutions using some of the AI services from AWS. And then, just really throughout that time, maybe the last 13 years, I've just always had a heart for sharing knowledge and sharing my lessons learned so that others don't make the same mistakes that I make. And so, that really started me teaching and speaking, um, and it really led me to where I am today with a cloud guru.
0: So I actually uh, watched a video of you recently. You mentioned playing around with machine learning in the cloud. It was a video that showed you creating a Alexa skill or an AWS skill on uh, determining if your kids were stealing sodas from the, <laughs> the refrigerator. It's really pretty funny. Could you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah. So, that was a really fun side project. I actually use my kids as guinea pigs. And so, I have three kids. They all love junk food, of course, and they, they <laughs> love soda. And, like, literally, I would put soda in the refrigerator and it would just magically disappear, like, literally overnight. And so AWS released this deep lens camera, which is, it's a machine learning enabled camera that you can place like in a room and I I put it in my kitchen and through machine learning, it watches a scene. And so for me, I I used it to watch the refrigerator (laughs) and and look (laughs) anytime that it saw a bottle of soda, like come out of the refrigerator, it would send me an alert. So I created a soda theft detection system (laughs) in AWS.
0: (laughs) Now, is that permeated to the rest of the house? Do you have more devices like that? Or are these just as projects come up, you think of cool applications like that?
1: Yeah, just as projects come up and as AWS as they release what I call the new toys, as they release these new fun toys that just really introduce you to some of the more complex technologies like machine learning in an approachable way. I just like, I have to buy the toy and I have to play around with it. And I usually figure out a way, you know, how can I use this in my real life? And then I go and build something.
0: That's great. For machine learning, for the uh, AWS uh, uh, different services, it's all part of cloud computing but it's cloud computing kind of a nebulous term. Can you help us understand kind of what is the scope when someone talks about cloud computing and, and what all goes into it?
1: So whenever I think about the cloud or I talk about the cloud, it has literally revolutionized IT and how we develop and deploy and maintain applications and the infrastructure that those applications run on. And whenever people talk about the cloud, you hear them throw out this term called serverless. And of course, there there are still servers behind the scenes, but what that means is when you're using cloud computing or the cloud services, like you as a developer or your organization, you're no longer responsible for... Maintaining that hardware or procuring the hardware and managing servers, you actually leave that to the cloud providers. And so now you're able to focus on building innovative products and solutions or, you know, soda theft detection systems (laughs) that make you stand out from your competitors. And it just allows you to get those products to the market faster and cheaper. And so when I think about the cloud and how it's impacted my life as a developer or a software engineer it has just given me access to so many services so many features and things that i would normally not have access to and like i said it just allows me to focus on building applications and getting them out to the market in a streamlined and efficient manner so the cloud is it's really cool
0: yeah i agree completely So if one of our listeners is a a hiring manager or they're looking to add more engineers on their team to help them with these uh, cloud computing tasks and really moving from, say, VMs to serverless or from on-prem into the cloud, what are some of the key skills that they should be looking for from the candidates?
1: That's a great question. When I look at it from the angle of a cloud engineer, right, I've noticed that some of the job requirements are slightly different from your average like software engineering job. And so when we're looking for cloud engineers, and this is something that I would do when I served as a software engineering manager, I looked for engineers that really understood architecture, cloud architecture and development. So I've seen people with this combination really excel in the cloud. So you can't just be great at architecture and you can't just be great at development. You have to kind of blend those two skills into this cloud engineering role. And so for example, I've, I've worked with architects that really understand the theory of how cloud services work and how in theory, all of these components should fit together to make a system. But practically when it comes to like implementation, things don't always fit together. Well, things never fit together (laughs) as neatly as you expect them to. And then on the flip side, I've seen very skilled developers, like awesome Java programmers, awesome Python programmers, but they don't really understand the pros and cons of the different cloud services and how they really fit together. So if you're using the cloud or a cloud service as a developer you really need to understand how that service fits in the stack how it's used to build systems so you're really looking for someone that can design and build do development and architecture hand in hand
0: i completely understand that i think i've worked in a couple different companies now where there's a development team or there's a couple people who are really good at development then there's also you know an architect and the architect might give an architecture that could only be accomplished in a fantasy or it's... Um, <laughs> yes, that
1: <laughs> that's happened like... to me a few times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they almost like they block the, the progress from, from the dev team. And then the dev team just feels like, you know, they have constraints to ship something quickly and to uh, meet the right architecture guidelines. And so I agree. I think you need to have experience in architecture. You need to have experience in development. And you have to be able to be practical on both aspects.
1: Yes, I've seen people with those two skills combined really, really excel.
0: So how do you actually figure out if someone has those skills? Do you have a good way to assess that when you're in a hiring process?
1: Well, definitely anyone that has a certification stands out a bit. But if they also have the certification and the job experience, and they've mastered one of the cloud providers like AWS, and then just making sure that they really understand the different compute services, the storage services, the security services, and networking, and and how they all fit together. And then just also looking at some of their side projects, looking at their GitHub repos, like what have they done on the side just related to cloud that has expanded their skill set and just actually demonstrates
0: their experience. Now, are there any specific certifications that are more reputable than others?
1: Yeah, for AWS, it's the AWS certifications. So the, the Solutions Architect certification, that one is probably the most popular. But the pathway, like if you've never worked with the cloud before, a great starting point would be the cloud practitioner, and that can be your starting point for some of the more advanced certifications.
0: Got it. Now, I wanted to ask you about the HackerRank Skills Advisory Council. So first off, I wanted to thank you for all of your input. You've been completely instrumental in creating our AWS skills and, and helping us really understand What's required from a hiring manager and what should be required of the candidates? Could you talk us through the process that you went through joining the Hacker Rank Skills Council and defining those skills? I
1: joined because, you know, I mentioned before that I'm a huge Hacker Rank fan, and just being a part of the Skills Advisory Council was a way for me to give back to the tech community and then just really help set the direction for HackerRank because I've used it in my prior role as a software engineering manager, I've also used it in my prior role as a professor. It was how students would actually submit their homework <laughs> and receive oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, um, immediate feedback. And you know, I also use it to just practice some of the coding challenges out there. That's the main reason why I joined. But when I joined and I started defining the skills needed for, let's say, AWS, I thought back to my role as a software engineering manager and what I looked for when I was hiring a junior developer or what I looked for when I was hiring a senior-level developer or a mid-level developer. And then I used that information and those experiences to really help define the skills that engineers need to have in a given area.
0: How should a hiring manager use that work and and those definitions to make a better hiring decision?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So for hiring managers, they can use the skill directory. And so for for those of you out there, if you're not familiar with the skill directory, it lists like the in-demand technical skills across several categories like Java, machine learning, AWS, and .NET, et cetera. So if you're a hiring manager, you can look across those categories. And like we've really done the hard work to identify the skills that you should look for at the junior level, the intermediate level, and the advanced level. So it can really help hiring managers understand where potential candidates are strong and maybe where their skills could be a bit lacking.
0: And what about for someone who's practicing their skills, what's the best way for them to make use of the data that was pulled together and and the recommendations that you've made?
1: Yeah, so for developers, it helps identify the areas that you need to know, or maybe areas where you're strong, areas where you're weak, where you may need to skill up before an interview. And when I look at the skill directory for a given area, it's Think of it like a learning path, really, with an outline to follow. So it shows you for the basic competency, these are the things that you need to know. Or for intermediate, these are the things that you need to know or advance. So it really sets out this learning path that allows you to know exactly what you need to do to skill up in a given area. So it's really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about some of your your mentorship experience. You're a mentor at Technovation, the New York Academy of Sciences, as well as your own organization, The Colors of STEM. How did you get into mentoring and what's the most satisfying thing for you about that? Sure,
1: that's a great question. When I was coming up in tech, I didn't really have a lot of female role models or role models that looked like me and you know being in the industry for 25 years over those years there were actually several times where i considered leaving tech because of how alone and isolated that i felt and i just didn't want others to feel that way and so i wanted to be for others what i never had and so that is why i'm so passionate about volunteering with those organizations that you mentioned. And for me, the most rewarding piece is just when I'm able to help someone work through maybe a career challenge that they're having, or I'm able to demystify technology and just introduce them to new tech and really just change the course of their career and their life. And so for me, that's the most satisfying and rewarding piece of mentoring.
0: I think that's really neat. And I'm curious now that we're all working from home is that has that changed at all the mentorship that you're doing or the way that you have to deliver it? Anything changed now that we're all in in lockdown? What
1: I've noticed is just the overall demand for mentorship has just exponentially increased. And I believe it's because, you know, when people are home or they're stuck at home, they have more time on their hands to do different things to explore different things and so for me mentoring is just it's, it's something that I do in my spare time like the requests and the calendar invites it's more than I can manage i need, i need to clone <laughs> myself at least 3 or 4 times to, to keep up with with just the demand and you know the everyone just seems you know so excited about technology, and that makes me excited. So one fun mentorship thing that I'm doing now, I recently partnered with Women Who Code to teach a series of machine learning workshops, and then we're having a global hackathon. And like we've had close to 700 people from across the globe join in. And so just like I said, I think being stuck at home it just causes people to have more time on their hands and explore things that they've maybe never considered exploring before in the past.
0: Certainly. And if some of our listeners are, say, engineering managers or or someone that wants to get involved in mentoring those that are just earlier on in their career, do you have any suggestions for how to get started?
1: With mentoring... What I try to do, if I'm working with someone that's new, I try to show them how it can apply to real life. That's the first step. And then I try to demystify the technology and just show them that it's not as complicated as people make it out to be. And I do that through real world examples. So with the Women Who Code Machine Learning Hackathon, I use my soda theft detection model as an example. I also created an emotion detection model. You know, I always use my kids as guinea pigs. So (laughs) I created this model that detects my daughter's emotion. Whenever she would get home, it would send me an alert whether or not she was happy, sad, or angry. And if she was sad, then I would stop by and, and bring her her favorite milkshake from Chick-fil-A <laughs> as a surprise to brighten her day. But I always try to show them like how these technologies can be applied to real life and that it's not as complex as people make it out to be.
0: So what was your most rewarding mentorship experience? I can't
1: just name one. There, there have been <laughs> so
0: many. I'll give you the top two.
1: One mentee that I worked with, she was already in college, she was a freshman in college, and she was majoring in business. And it wasn't that she was just so thrilled, so super excited about business. It's just that she didn't know what else to do. And so I worked with her to expose her to Java and all of the different things that she could build and create using Java. And just through that, Mentorship and I I worked with her over one summer. She went back and she changed her major to computer science, and she like absolutely loves it. And so, for me, just meeting her at that really critical moment in her life when she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do with the rest of her life and she really didn't have a clue, just being able to like change the trajectory of her life really to me, it just, it really (laughs) warms my heart. So that experience, that's why I do what I do.
0: That is awesome.
1: And then the second one is working with teenage girls in high school, teaching them about mobile app development through the Technovation mentorship program that I'm a part of. And that program, I've just seen it change lives in ways that, I mean, it's just, it's an awesome program. And so we work with like teenage girls in high school and we challenge them to solve a problem in their local community by building a mobile app. And then we work with them to find the requirements, build up a prototype, like wireframing and prototyping, and then actually building out the mobile app, and then writing a business plan, and then pitching that business plan in the app before a panel of judges. And like the winning teams walk away with a cash prize. So just imagine you're in high school, you've created this mobile app, you've won this competition, you have this cash prize, and you have a business plan, and you're able to launch your business. And so I've worked with many teams through that program that have Actually, released apps like that people actually use. So, those have been the, the, the most rewarding experiences.
0: Now, earlier on, you mentioned that there were a couple times in your career where you thought of leaving tech. Do you have any advice for people that were excited about getting into computer science or getting into cloud computing, doing these projects? Uh, and they're one or two years in. Are there any challenges that you think people commonly face at that time, or do you have any advice for them on how to determine whether they should keep going or whether uh, they might want to go to a different career?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not just people two years in that that face that, (laughs) not people five years in, it's not people 10 years in. It's just in general, as a person that's underrepresented in tech. So for me, African American and I am female. And so there have been many of times where I'm the only female or I'm the only African American. And I guess what worked for me to really keep me in IT one, I just realized that there's nothing else that I enjoy doing. Like if, if I leave it what am I going to do? I guess I'm going to go sell fruit, like on a beach in Jamaica, like there, there's <laughs> nothing else that I want to do with my life. And so I had to find other people that were just like me that were, you know, experiencing the same things that I was experiencing and just build a community with them is basically someone, you know, people that I can vent to that actually, they understand what I'm going through. And so I joined Women Who Code many years ago. And that for me was like a saving grace because I would go to these meetups, I would attend events, and I would just look around their room and I would see people that were just like me. And it just, just having that community is really what kept me in IT.
0: That's really inspiring, actually. I think that there's a lot of value in order to find a community and other people that you can really relate with and avoid burning out avoid getting stuck and feeling like isolated, yes, which can be debilitating. So yes. that's a great idea. I also wanted to hear from you about emerging technologies. So you mentioned when there's a new toy coming out from Amazon, new tech, it's fun to play with, it's fun to put it in your house, like even build some projects around it. And, and I'm sure you're exposed to a lot of new technology. Is there anything that you're excited about more than others and think that's really going to change technology over the next couple of years?
1: Well, anyone that knows me, they already know how I'm going to answer this question. And so (laughs) when I think about just technologies or just emerging tech or things that I just think it's like it's just super cool, it's definitely machine learning. And, you know, machine learning is not really considered emerging because it's been around for a while, but now it's just more accessible, you know, thanks to the AI services from the cloud providers and like the powerful servers they provide. And because of big data, like machine learning has really fallen into the hands of what I call just the everyday developer and you know we're just able to quickly bring these ideas to life and so for me and when i look at all of the different places that it's currently applied and all of the places where it can be applied like i really believe that machine learning just like java did way back when machine learning is going to take over the world
0: period <laughs> and what are some applications of machine learning that might not be top of mind or might be interesting that we haven't really thought about yet? That we haven't thought about yet? Or at least that you've seen that just isn't in mainstream usage yet.
1: I think there's a bit of a misconception about machine learning because it is applied in so many areas where you wouldn't even think that it's already being applied. For example, Machine learning is used in in the courthouse by judges to determine if someone is going to be a repeat offender. Like I've seen examples of police officers riding around in their patrol car with a laptop running machine learning models, telling them where to patrol. I've seen examples of machine learning applied in healthcare where there are some like machine learning programs that can accurately predict certain forms of cancer like long before a doctor can even diagnose it. And so like there are a lot of places where we use machine learning that we may not even be aware of. So it can definitely apply in almost all areas of life.
0: I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I think that's absolutely correct. And I think that there's a concept of a hype curve for new technologies, right? And I think I saw this from Gartner once where it's like something new comes on the scene. It could be machine learning a number of years ago. It could be cryptocurrency. It could be another technology. And there's this big spike of excitement and hype. And then there's a kind of a trough or a valley mm-hmm. where there's a bit of disillusionment of, oh, well, it's just it's <laughs> <Yeah>. too early. <laughs> but then it rises back up into, I think they called it a plateau of productivity. Yeah. And really, that's where it seems like we are right now with machine learning, where you mentioned developers kind of have it in their hands. They can use it for more things. And, and it seems like the out of the box models that you can use from AWS or, or other cloud providers actually do a lot of the heavy lifting. And it's really about the developer to find the right application and to massage the data as opposed to having to learn the guts and build something completely from scratch. Yeah,
1: that's true. A lot of the, for example, the SageMaker service, it can be as high level or abstract as you want it to be, or you can be as hands-on and low-level coding as you want to be. So that service really meets you where you are. So you have the option to create these machine learning models without having to write code. Or like I said, you can write as much Python code (laughs) as your heart's desire. And so... That's something I always try to tell people. Like if, if you're curious about machine learning, just get out there, use some of these services and, and try to build something. And like you said, like those services, they, they meet you where you are. And in some cases, they abstract away a lot of the complexities until you really get your feet wet and you've mastered like the basics. Then you can continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So yeah, it's just, for me, it's just an exciting time to be in technology because there are so many services out there that really just enable innovation. And so it's a very
0: exciting time. I think just this conversation has gotten me excited too. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I'm in product management, so I don't do coding on a day-to-day basis, but at my degrees in computer science, I would this makes me want to go back and brush up on some skills and try out some of these different platforms. Try out SageMaker and try out some projects myself. This actually sounds a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, you should definitely give it a try. Like it's not that difficult. <laughs> they make it really approachable <laughs> and easy. Definitely give it a try.
0: <laughs> now, for someone that wants to brush up on their skills over time and make sure that they're ready for these new new applications, are there any skills that you think are going to be trending or that someone should be focusing on over the next couple of years? So
1: what I always tell people, whenever you're considering a career in the cloud, the first thing is to have this foundational skill. And for me, like that foundational skill is Java. So always have this foundational skill that can be applied to the cloud, but it's something that, that you can always Fall back on. So, I would say if you don't have that foundational skill, that's something that you need to get. So, it could be Java, it could be Python, or it could be something else. But then, once you have that foundational skill, then master one of the cloud service providers like AWS. And then, once you've mastered just like their basic services and foundational services, then pick a specialty. So do you want to specialize in cybersecurity or do you want to specialize in IoT, like Internet of Things, or do you want to specialize in machine learning? And so you kind of build like layers on top. So you have your foundation, then you add the basic services from the cloud service providers. And then on top of that, you have your your one specialty area. And that just really helps you stay marketable. What I always joke and tell people, and, and when I say, if everything else falls apart, I can always go and co- code Java somewhere for, for somebody <laughs> sure. and put food on the table. So it's just it's important to have that foundational skill before you start building on the cloud services.
0: Now, in closing, is there uh, any way that the listeners can keep track of, of what you're doing and connect with you to make sure that uh, if you have another soda stealing <laughs> or if you put something on uh, GitHub that we could use in our homes that we can keep up to date?
1: Yeah. So across all of the like social media platforms like Instagram or Twitter, you can find me at Keisha, K-E-S-H-A, Wills, W-I-L-L-Z. So Keisha Wills. And then... I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, and my LinkedIn handle, unfortunately, it's not my name. <laughs> kind of mad at myself for for doing this, but it's Java Rockstar <laughs> Keisha.
0: <laughs> well, so. that's why you always have to to be up to date on your java <laughs> you you, you know. can't you can't uh, abandon that core skill.
1: I know i I definitely can't, but that's where you can find me on LinkedIn.
0: Sounds good, and we'll put links to those in the uh, podcast description as well. Keisha, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate all of your contributions both to the mentorship community as well as to HackerRank and the Skills Advisory Council and the Skill Directory.
1: My pleasure, had a fun time being here today. You've been listening to HackerRank Radio, the podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and the opportunities in building and developing world-class engineering teams. Brought to you by HackerLive, the developer skills company.